0: Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful episode was with my good friend, Daniele Bolelli. Daniele is one of the most fascinating precise, interesting historians that I know of. You may have seen him on Joe Rogan's podcast. He's been on there a bunch of times. He also hosts History on Fire podcast. He also hosts Drunken Taoist. He's a martial artist. He is uh, He's a badass. And in this conversation, we get into the history of human sexuality. We get into a lot of different things. It was a, a far-reaching conversation, like so many of these are, and I think you guys are going to glean a lot of valuable information from it. I wanted to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Inside Tracker, for supporting this podcast. I'm guessing many of you want to lose weight or build muscle or change your body composition. Am I right? I'm also guessing many of you have tried a bunch of different shit to try to do so and haven't found any success Am I right again? If you're struggling to see the results you want and feel frustrated and maybe even hopeless, I highly suggest using Inside Tracker. No more fad diets, no more wasting money on supplements and health foods that don't actually work, and no more confusion when it comes to finding results. Inside Tracker gives you a customized action plan that is science-backed on nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle recommendations based on your specific body. I just got my Inside Tracker results back and I am super excited to start making tweaks to my own diet, my workouts, and lifestyle to better align with my body and what it actually needs. If you're ready to get serious about taking your health, fitness, and nutrition to the next level, don't even think twice about trying Out Inside Tracker. It is hands down the best way to get an accurate and effective plan based on your own body. I am super excited to start my plan. And you can start yours too by getting 25% off the entire inside tracker store. All you have to do is head over to inside slash align. Again, that's 25% off the entire inside tracker store. When you go to inside slash align. All right, here we go. Let's get back to it with my man, Daniele Beline. Pow. I'm excited to build a podcast studio. Yeah. That's going to feel really good. Why? I think it's uh, like set and setting is so important, like with so many things and having a place that feels like the ceremonial space, like, cool, here we are. We are back again. What was the impetus for you to move to Ojai?
1: I've lived in LA a long time, since 1992. And I think there was, it just feels crowded. I hate going anywhere because you have to be in the car forever, even if you have to go three miles kind of thing. Is uh, Many parts of LA are really hard to deal with if you're not in the car. Like, to get anywhere you need a car kind of thing, you can't just pick up and walk type of stuff. I like the idea of living in a smaller place where I can get places quick, where I can run into people I want to run into faster and not think... Because that's the thing about LA that is like there are a ton of people you want to meet and then you never want to meet them because it's like, do I really want to drive an hour? I'm 15 in traffic to get to this place that's like 50 miles away, not even that much. It's like, not really. And so you end up n- never doing it. And this way, I feel like I'm outside of LA in a nice, smaller, mellower place. There's more room for stuff. And at the same time, if I want to get to LA, I can do it relatively fast.
0: So it seemed like a sweet deal. Have you noticed a distinguishable shift in the way that you feel being in an open space like Ohio compared to LA? Yeah, yeah, night and
1: day. It's trippy. It's like, I mean, some of it is physical noise. Like there's always this in the background in LA. And some of it is literal, right? There's traffic, there's the helicopter that goes by, there's, you hear all that stuff. But some of it I feel is energetical. Like you feel just, a zillion people running around doing their thing. Uh, like at night is when suddenly my brain clears and I could work and I could do things where I felt like, oh, I can actually think now. You know, I you feel that pretty much all the time because there's nobody around. <laughs> you know, it's a small town, so there's not that much activity. There's not that much noise. So you feel this eerily quiet where it's like, oh, I can hear my thoughts. This is kind of nice.
0: I wonder in your perspective, studying history the way that you have, when do you think in human history was the beginnings of that energetic state that you're talking about of LA, that kind of like frenetic, like going on? When do you think the origins of that? Do you think there could have been any of that in like Mayan, Aztec times or like Roman Empire where it's like people are like, oh, I've got to get out of this city?
1: 100%. 100%. I think it's just the nature of packing too many humans in too small of a space. And that just normal any urban civilization deal with it on the other hand when you look at it because people sometimes idealize oh rural life is so cool the evils of the city rural life a lot of the time is close-minded as hell because you don't run into enough variety you don't run into enough different ideas different people all of that so there's that downside. that's has been i think why i like Ohio, because a bunch of places where i've been I'm like, man, I love this place. I would move this in a heartbeat. The nature is fantastic. The feeling is beautiful. But then realistically, you look around and you are surrounded by three toothless rednecks on a mountain, you know? And it's like, ugh, there's something that, like, we we're just in the Black Hills, which are such a beautiful place. And some people are really cool. But, like, things that would not happen as often at least in the city. Like we walk, one day we walk in into a restaurant for breakfast and this lady stares at Savannah, who, for people who don't know, since A, this is a vis- not a visual podcast, and B, she's not here. But like, she's really dark-skinned, right? And this lady look at her and just goes, gross, and pulls her kids away. Whoa. And I'm just like, ah, fuck, do we really have to deal with this? And does it ever happen in a LA? labor? one in a million years kind of thing in smaller places it happens a lot more and maybe not this but you run into similar kind of weird very close-minded type of shit and so it's like ugh. oh i hit the sweet spot for me because it doesn't have any of that it's very it feels like the people are very aware of the world around them and a little more
0: open-minded kind of thing and yet it's a small place so it's the perfect combo for me A curiosity that I've had for a long time is the way that our environments form not just our physical bodies, but also our minds and perceptions. And does the shape of the room inform the shape of your thoughts? And then slash shape of the city, shape of the culture, et cetera. And then what comes first, you know, chicken or the egg? Is it the the human mind? Is there some kind of natural organic primordial seed that ends up manifesting this city to be the way that it is? and then that ends up feeding back and informing the way that we think and feel and communicate? Or does the city, it's almost like it's its own seed that comes up and then informs the human?
1: I hate it to be a cop-out, but my answer to a lot of either or questions tend to be both, because I think in order for it to emerge, there has to be a push in that direction to begin with, that there, there are some people who gravitate to a certain energy and they want to manifest it. And at the same time, once it's there, it's going to influence people who may not be like that by nature at all. But if that's how you, what you grow up
0: around, that's how you grow up around, and it will shape how you think, how you are, and all of that. What do you think of pagan culture, went through Europe for four months and kind of explored different things, went down into Morocco and like... Eastern Europe and Western Europe and the contrast between that. And I saw the older, more like nature-based influence of pagan culture, I I believe it'd be the, the right term for it. And then there's kind of like the new world of Roman empire and, you know, the Greco stuff and right angles and pillars and... There's a very definitive shift. If It almost feels like starting from the ground and then transitioning to be on top of the ground in a way. Yeah,
1: I mean, even that is like, because technically, if you want to look at like most ancient, big ancient civilization, ancient Rome, the Aztecs, that, that kind of stuff, they are technically polytheistic and they are technically still tied a little bit to that word, but not really. Because what you're talking about is more like a shamanic, small tribal culture kind of thing. By the time you move to the level of like the big state societies, it's one step away from the monotheistic religions. It's a state cult with a fixed priesthood, with fixed rituals, with buildings set up a certain way. It really lacks that direct connection with nature to the same degree. It really lacks that flexibility that you can only have when things are smaller. So it's really not that far off from uh, what then become many of the modern religions
0: in that sense. Why do you think that happens? Why do we start in the ground and then eventually build pillars? And is that a consistent trend that would happen regardless? Is that a part of like the human experience? No, I don't think it happens regardless. That's why you still have tribes today, that if it wasn't for the fact
1: that they have been conquered or their living space has been shrunk dramatically, they would just be doing this thing the way they've been doing it from the dawn of time. No, I think it's a particular adaptation to history to life to nature because it's very dominant then it extends that it affects so many other culture but like when you look at it like think about what are the biggest religions in the world in terms of number there's uh, Christianity and Islam which one are the religions that have the greatest numbers of wars of conquest tied to their name Christianity and Islam they don't spread because somebody knock on your door and say, hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? They spread because somebody conquers somebody else. So the theology is almost secondary at that point. It's a, it's, it's a power game. And, uh, and so in relation to tribes, why do they disappear and why you see the expansion of cities, the expansion of more urban culture, a little more removed from nature? Because that stuff has been successful from a military standpoint.
0: How does that shape... The mind of the, the people within those, those two categories? Like, what's the mind of the, the tribesmen? What's the mind of the military indoctrinated culture where we're kind of building a system to, to conquer?
1: I mean, Roman culture, for example, is trippy. It's aggressive as hell. It's like the entirety of the culture is built on basically violence. It's built on conquest, power. I mean, even the way that I did an episode, I thought it would be a fun episode to do for History on Fire. I thought it would be more. And then when I started researching, I'm like, there's nothing okay. fun about this because I was doing something about Roman sex in ancient Rome. And I was like, oh, it's a juicy topic. It's fun. It's cool. The more you read about it, the more you're like, man, these guys were freaks. And I don't mean freaks in a cool, wild, the sexual practices, that's a good, that would be a good freaks. No, freaks in the sense that at least officially, probably not the average person on the street, but at least officially, they conceived of sex as a power relation. It was something that somebody does to somebody else. There was zero about mutual pleasure or anything of that sort. It was a statement of power. I get to penetrate you, so I have power. And it's the natural order for the inferiors to cater to the sexual needs of the superior. It's like a, it's a rape culture, basically, in the literal sense of the word. And you read about it and you're like, Jesus, I mean, this is terrible for everybody involved because even the people at the top of the society, it's such a predatorial view of the world. I mean, check this out, like the word family right? That actually comes from a Roman word. And the Roman word referred in Latin to the way you refer to your actual blood family is the same term that evolved from the way you would refer to your slaves. Because the head of the family is essentially the head of a group of people who are there to cater to whatever he says. So it's like, okay, that's a real healthy, happy way to approach life. I think that's the nature of the beast, the transition to farming. I mean, not all farming cultures develop to that degree, or neither to that degree of complexity, neither to that degree of being that aggressive like ancient Rome. But there are obvious advantages that show up when farming kicks in or where, you know, old people and tiny kids don't have to run around all the time being nomadic hunters and gatherers. That makes their life so much easier. You don't starve as likely because the food, uh, if you live in an environment that's less reliable, you can have one good harvest and you store food that lasts for the next season. You have a shitty harvest, you're still good. You still survive. You can build permanent structures that maybe you're tired of taking down your home and putting it back up every other day kind of thing. So there are advantages that people clearly gravitate toward, but then what they don't see right away is the price you have to pay, and the price you have to pay is huge. Now, clearly, I mean, in some way, this is completely academic because nobody's going to go back to living as a hunter and gatherer from where we are today. But I think what's interesting is looking at what are the cool things about that life and what can we incorporate into our modern life so that you don't have to give up and go live on a mountain and just live on hunting and gathering. But like, what can you do today in the modern context with modern technology, with everything that we have around us as is? what can you bring back for a way of life that clearly worked for 99 percent of the time we've been around as human beings that's who we are really that's our dna and we're not really that well adjusted to living you know this is an experiment that's barely started basically and it's clearly showing issues right now so it's like how can we combine the two How can we take some of these ideas? And and to me, like a huge thing, especially when thinking about American society in particular, but not exclusively, is uh, the lack of community, the lack of tribe. One of the big modern diseases is loneliness. It's the paradox of American society, right? You live in this culture that's the most affluent culture in history. Well, not for everybody, clearly, but on average. And at the same time, People are depressed as hell on average. There's consumption of antidepressants is off the charts. Lonely as hell. One of the things that people, you know, they go to work, run into a few people at work. That's basically your social circle. You are used to working like a dog, going home, watching TV. And at best, you have your nuclear family kind of thing, at best. And then social relations are kind of... How can I put it? Uh, disposable. One of the cool things about American culture is mobility and the fact that the individual can pick up and reinvent themselves and find a job across the country and do that at a drop of the dime. The downside is that in doing that, clearly, whatever relation you have built in one place, you have to also be ready to drop it and start over at the new place. So you don't invest that much time and energy. There's a like a solace and commitment. Yeah. There's something where when you know, like, there are a bunch of places where people are born in one place, they'll leave that place, they'll
0: die in that place, right? Yeah. So you know that the relationship you're building around, you're there to stay. It shuts down a lot of the, the potential bandwidth of, of wondering. That's always out there when you're in this single... You know, you have your your hinge, and you got your Raya, and you got your yoga studio and workout thing, and you got this social circle and that social. Circle. Maybe I'll move there, move over there. There's all this potential orbits around. There's something very convenient and, and probably very healthy to be like. Here's here's your bubble, and that can lead to having no teeth and calling people and words.
1: And that's what I mean. Like, there's a sweet spot there. You know, there's something. Why give up? Both models suck right like one model is lonely and superficial one model is close-minded and limited there's a sweet spot in there where you can have a solid bubble that helps that feeds you that's your tribe that's your community but also is not closed in that it turns stale and poisonous where you actually it's open enough where you can use that as a base for them be more open and see other people and run into other people and experiment and go travel and do things that are not just so to me it's like it's sort of like the same thing about the binary questions it's like do you want these or do you want that i don't want either because both have something good and also a lot of bad I want to take the best from this and the best from that and combine it. That's what I want. But of course, that's way easier said than done because whereas established models with their good and their bad are right there, you just have to join the club, create something that mixes the best of both sides require you to create it. And that's hard work on multiple levels, on practical level, on a philosophical level, really being able to zero in on what are the desirable things in this aspect and that aspect
0: and bring it together. It's not that easy. I want to go back to how some of those, the slave culture and the rape culture, all that shows up in modern culture. Where do we see that today?
1: I think there's still a ton of people are clearly emotionally closed off in a way that if you want to look at Roman culture, that's a culture in which there's no room for softer feelings or tenderness or any of that stuff. It's just a hard culture built on conquest and domination great for to conquer the world and rule it not so great to live in it and i think it's the same mentality that a lot of people have in terms of you want to go out and make money and be the guy who has everything and in the process of doing so you sacrifice everything along the way in terms of both human contact because relationships are disposable and it's like i'm on my path for Achieving these goals. So, whatever stands in the way is like a, is a distraction. I'll do it to the degree that it suits my need because it scratches an itch, but then, you know, it's like whatever. So, you have that. You have the fact that it's bad toward other people. It's bad toward yourself because you never give yourself to actually live like this a human your being. You're just on this constant chase for the next goal that will actually tell you that you are worth something, that you are valuable to some degree, and it's measured in numbers in your bank account or cars in your driveway kind of shit. I think that's the same model applied in on a more personal level in modern life rather than on a big level in the ancient world. But I think it's the same mentality. It's approaching the world as something that it's a battle and something that you need to conquer and something that you need to own and dominate, not something that you live with in a happy way, not something that you can interact with in a way designed to create as much joy around as possible for yourself
0: and for others. Do you think that that sensation is a natural part of human psychology, like going back into hunter-gatherer, pre-agrarian? I think it's easier.
1: I don't know if it's... I think it's just an easier approach because anybody can say, if I get to own X, that means I will have made it. It's pretty straightforward. You know exactly what the goal is. You just have to work your way up. It's a lot harder to figure out a way to be happily human Because it's a constant adaptation. It's a moving target. You have to live second by second in figuring out what it means right here, right now with the people around you. Whereas uh, the other one is so simple. It's just so straight to the point. It's like, if I make $10 million, I made it. Okay, well, it's not easy, but it's very clear the path. Whereas this other stuff, like figuring out what makes a happy life. You have to understand yourself a lot. You have to understand the people around you a lot. You have to understand the fact that some of these goals change over time. So you have to tweak it and adapt it. And it just requires you to be way
0: more sensitive. And that's just harder. Do you think it's fair to romanticize a more ancestral lifestyle the way that most People do in like modern media.
1: Yes and no, because I mean, on one level, obviously no, because there were ten thousand issues back then. That uh, it's what people always do, right? Grass is always greener, kind of shit. So it's always like, oh, back then everything was in harmony, and it's like, no, probably wasn't. Otherwise, we wouldn't have ended up here because it's right. Not... Would still be there. There was something that that catalyzed a transition. Hundred percent. At the same time. It's also useful to remember that just because not everything was perfect, there may have been things that we don't have today that we badly need. So it's like, it's not about romanticizing anything. It's about what is that I can take from that particular lifestyle that can inform my life today. And can enrich my life today that may be in the process of changing in some cases for the best and in some cases for the worst we have lost some stuff that may not be a bad idea if mixed with the current set
0: of ingredients that we have in front of us I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, BioOptimizers, for supporting this podcast. I want to also talk about blood sugar. A lot of people tune out because they think it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic everybody needs to understand. One of the big keys to optimal health is to have balanced blood sugar. But what happens when you eat a donut? Your pancreas releases insulin, which tells your body there's plenty of energy, so now is time to store fat. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you eat a donut or drink a glass of orange juice low fiber processed carbohydrates from crackers to chips to cookies to juice all have a similar effect on blood sugar. When you take in a lot of carbs too quickly without much fiber or fat to slow down absorption, you could experience what we call a sugar crash, which leads to low energy, brain fog, and weight gain. So how do you lower your blood sugar levels to avoid storing food as body fat? You want to do your best to reduce your intake of processed carbohydrates and make sure you eat fat, protein, fiber and greens at most meals, but none of us are perfect and we all cheat sometimes. So it just makes sense to have a way to maintain healthy blood sugar day in and day out, even if you have an off day, right? That's why I recommend a product called blood sugar breakthrough by bio optimizers. This easy to take supplement is the result of of numerous tests to find the absolute best formula for maintaining healthy blood sugar. In fact, biooptimizers went through five different formulations before landing on this one. Blood sugar breakthrough works to safely lower blood sugar after meals so you can maintain a healthy weight and redirect carbs to your muscles where they can be burned for energy. This means you'll avoid the worst effects of high blood sugar, like weight gain, while enjoying more stable energy, mental clarity, and fewer cravings. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health/align and save ten percent by using the code align10. So just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health/align. Align. If you go to that URL, your exclusive 10% discount will already be applied. If you're not using that URL, just use the Align 10 code and you'll get that sweet, sultry 10% discount. Discount. I also want to take a moment and thank Element for supporting this podcast. I personally find that a low-carb diet works best for my body, although most people embarking on a low-carb diet experience something generally referred to as the keto flu, which can cause fatigue, crankiness, decreased physical performance, cramping, and brain fog. It is not pleasant. While it's a complex equation, electrolyte deficiency in folks adhering to a low-carb diet is in large part driven by two key factors. When you make the switch to a low-carb diet, you are probably eliminating processed foods from your diet, which contain high amounts of sodium. Low-carb diets are diuretic in nature, meaning the kidneys excrete electrolytes at a higher rate. This is normal and not something to be worried about, but... It's important to replace these electrolytes. All is not lost. By properly supplementing your electrolytes, both your keto flu and low energy can be dramatically reduced, if not avoided altogether. If supplementing your electrolytes seems right for you, I highly suggest Element. It's spelled L-M-N-T. I use Element exclusively because all their ingredients are real and recognizable. Plus, all their products are always sugar-free, gluten-free, paleo, keto-friendly, and science-backed. Plus, it contains over three times the electrolytes as your average sport drink. And guess what? You can try Element out for free. You can receive a free Element sampler pack, including eight packets of Element. Once again, spelled L M N T. Two citrus packets, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored by heading over to drinklmnt.com slash align. This deal is not available on their regular website. So just go over to d-r-i-n-k-l-m-n-t.com forward slash align. You only pay $5 for shipping and you get yourself a free sampler pack to try this stuff out. All right. I hope you enjoy your new hydration experience. Let's get back to the program with my guy, Daniele. What about specifically from a, a sexual marital relationship lens? Like what are some things that we could mix back into the the ingredient list today?
1: Uh, in terms of sex, that's like the Chris Ryan question, right? You have read Chris Ryan book, Sex at Dawn? Yeah, I know Chris pretty well. Historically, I don't know. Like I've seen his research. It looked good. It's, the book is fantastic. Is it as uh, exactly the way he described it? I don't know. I have no idea. It's kind of hard. The evidence is messy. And I don't mean his evidence. I mean, the historical actual evidence is kind of messy about what it actually was. But that idea, which definitely makes sense within the context of some culture, and there is some evidence for it, the idea that uh, you don't have necessary to go through the polyamorous route, but the idea that jealousy is a poison that the idea of kind of owning another human being is not the healthiest way to approach a relationship. That's a good one. That is, I mean, take even any people in a strictly monogamous relationship and they are happy living that way. So nobody's asking you to change that. But the idea of toning down the distrust, jealousy, weirdness kind of aspect is not a bad one. You know, that concept seems to be, seems to be something that anybody could apply in a way that's healthy and i'm big on i mean i like that concept the fact that that's a discussion it's not an automatic thing it's like do you want a monogamous relationship do you want to be in this thing or not do you want an open relationship what do you want what would make you happy and have that discussion with somebody you're with and set very clear parameters of what you think would work for the two of you I think that's a great thing. I had that discussion several times where I'm like, you know what, I don't think monogamy is the best thing. And the person I'm with say, you know what, I get it, but it's kind of how I'm built. So take it or leave it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm perfectly happy with you. So I'll take it. I have no problem with it. It's like, just because I can conceive of a philosophical model that could work well in another way, doesn't mean I need to have it. It's the only model. It's like, and then the discussion becomes something else. Then the discussion becomes, you know, things like jealousy. Is like, if that's a big deal to you, if the idea of like being in a monogamous sexual relationship is it, okay, let's play that game. I can give you my word, 100% that you don't have to worry about that. Because if I tell you something, I always keep my word. Otherwise, I don't give it. Once we've established that, can we relax about the fact that I can look at some hot lady that goes by and go, wow, she's really beautiful. Or that we can, we acknowledge the fact that we are fucking human. Of course, you're going to like a bunch of other people from, you're going to be attracted to them. Doesn't mean that you're going to run off with them. It just means like, hey, that's beauty there and there and there and there. That takes a little bit of the weirdness around the relationship, like you are supposed to only like me. You can only fantasize about me. You can, It's like, get the fuck out of here. That just That's built on a lie because that's not how human beings are built genetically. It's like nobody is only going to like one person. It's in an attractiveness kind of way.
0: And if you really did, the other person would probably lose interest. Could you know, be, right? could be. It's, I think that is that subtle kind of awareness of, of like, well, it's they're not mine. Once they're yours you're like it's like a cat that caught a mouse you're like I'm over it. So the exact thing that you're that you're repelling actually in fact is the glue that binds the relationship in some capacity. And at the end of the day it's physically impossible because
1: there's I don't care what people say nobody is going to find only one person attractive. Maybe you think that that one person is the one that you click with the most on every level. You do find them attractive and they are great for you. You have these fantastic dynamics. That's hundred percent i don't have a problem with that concept i see that as very realistic but the idea that you cannot look at somebody else and go wow that's beautiful no i probably would never click with them because their personality is weird and they are decent but they are beautiful that's just where it's at and being honest about that kind of stuff i think if anything makes a relationship better not worse
0: in the same vein of relationships and sexual flexibility, particularly. Do you have any sense of the origins of homosexuality or heterosexuality for that matter? I don't know. well, maybe they're both equally natural, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's
0: tricky. Of course, there
1: is a genetic component in the sense that it seems to be that people who are, grow up in a certain cultural environment, they will steal some time end up having very clear sexual preferences that don't match the cultural environment they are raised in. So that tells you that there's something that just them, you know, from day one. But for the overwhelming majority of people, it seems like that can be shaped by culture dramatically. Like you grow up in a culture in which being... uh, by, sec- by the way some of this term you know homosexual bisexual and so on are very much like modern definitions it's also a box yeah it's kind of made up in the sense that many culture where today we would say oh they practice bisexuality they, they didn't think of it the same way there were ten thousand other categories in it. it is like are you the penetrator or the penetrated are you this or that because it's not all the same but regardless for simplicity's sake using the modern lingo I think the way you grow up, if in a certain culture is normal to be a certain way, whether it is to like both men and women or to only like the opposite sex or that kind of thing, that's how most people will run. And they'll never have a question about it being strange. So I think, you know, culture can mold the human being to a very large degree, not all the way. I do think that there's something innate, but I think on whatever is
0: there, there's a tone of the culture can work on what was the thing that you, you you recently done an episode of the, the 300 thing but not the 300 people think of yeah so i'm doing
1: i'm researching it right now it's a trippy story so it's uh in ancient thebes which was one of the main greek cities there was uh, you know athens sparta and thebes were some of the three big power players for a while in thebes they had this thing where they set up this elite military unit of 300 fighters were 150 couples. And the idea behind it being that they believe that nobody wants to look bad in front of their lover. So they would just outdo each other in bravery and just go all out because nobody wanted to look like a coward or wanted to look bad or scared in front of the one that they are passionate about. And so they had these 150 homosexual couples being these elite infantry units that crush most other military of the time it's like 2.0, and it's funny because other greek cultures did something i mean what's with the number 300 yeah that's an interesting one right it shows up a lot in ancient greece so it's one of there are various theories but i haven't really heard one that convinced me like this is why so there's something there but i don't know what it is but yeah, it's interesting because most Greek culture where there was an acceptance of bisexuality to one degree or another, but these guys take it to a whole other level. They just embrace it more so than uh, than most others. So
0: did they specifically cherry pick blatantly homosexual men or did they kind of formulate them? there, Or was their sexuality at that point more flexible that it was kind of like the...
1: I mean, hardly anybody. It was very rare for somebody to only be in an homosexual relationship. It typically was both. You marry, you have kids, you also have your male lover. And uh, some people clearly prefer one to the other, where it's like, I guess I have to have sex with this lady and have kids for family purposes. But what I'm really passionate about is this guy over here kind of stuff. And others instead were like, no, they were into their family primarily and their wife and whatever. And then uh, why not? It's part of the culture. The guy looks hot. Uh, Why not? You know, it wasn't all the same in that regard, but there definitely was that range.
0: And what was the dynamic of the the penetrate? Tour and penetrate tea. So that changes from culture to culture. And how many cultures exhibited that tendency? Was it mainly. There are a bunch, but like to give
1: you, just to keep it simple, so keep it to kind of, uh, let's say, the Greco Roman word. Uh, and it's not even simple there because there are tremendous differences there. But like the Romans, it had a power relation. With the Roman is simpler to explain because it's very clear. It's uh, penetrator is the strong man who rules, and the penetrator could be man, woman, doesn't matter, is like the subservient to skater to who's catering the boss kind of thing. Did
0: you say skater into the boss?
1: Who's who catering to the boss, who's like saying, Whatever you want, I will give in to like Romans actually this thing where the act of being penetrated was considered shameful which is like, what the fuck? What's wrong with these people? You know, that seems really unhealthy way of looking at it. So the the real Roman man, the top-notch dog, was somebody who could not be penetrated. If you have sex with other men, it doesn't mean like in the modern sense you're gay, it just means you're a real manly man because you penetrate anything that is too, out there. Men, women, goats, it's all good, right? It's like, you just have extra testosterone. If you are the penetrated on the other hand, well, then we got a problem. Or rather, we don't. If you are lower class and you are catering to upper class, eh, it sucks, but it's what you have to do. Or if you are a woman catering to a man, or if you are, it's kind of like, eh, it's the natural order for the inferior to bend to the wheel of the superior kind of thing. But uh, it's unmanly if you are a high status man and you are penetrated by another man, then that's perverted and horrible. So yeah, these guys are issues because everything for them is about power. That's all there is. And it's like, Jesus Christ, this is an uh, unhealthy way of going at it, right? The Greeks are a bit different because the Greeks said this thing where you could have a relationship between adult males. There was, usually there was always a difference in age. He was always kind of older guy who's attracted to the younger guy, but at the same time has a lot to teach about life, this and the other. And younger guy for whom this relationship is sexual, but is also a mentorship kind of thing. And so that's how they conceived of it. And in that case, it was acceptable on both ends. It was seen as like, okay, that works. That's fine. So they had a different
0: take on it. What about monogamy and polyamory and such during that time?
1: Monogamy is kind of a joke in a culture like that because it's like realistically is um, like those are super patriarchal cultures. So men can do whatever the fuck they want, you know, or rather, no, you cannot have sex with somebody who, quote unquote, belong to another powerful man. So you cannot go out and sleep with somebody else's wife. That's bad. But you can have sex with every prostitute in the world. You can have sex with every lower-class woman in the world. You can, you know, that part is all good. There's a lot of a power play more than just being, are you monogamous or not? It's like for a man, yeah, you can have sex with anybody who essentially doesn't infringe on, and I throw up just saying it, but the quote-unquote property rights of another man. That's where the line is drawn. For women, different story. For women, sexuality tends to be much more restricted in those cultures, and the attitude is, and ultimately, why? Because you know, women have kids. Most of the men want to make sure that the kids are theirs, so you can now you have to control women's sexuality so that you are sure that the kids is yours and not somebody else's. That kind of shit. I did an episode specifically on Romans, which is even worse than Greek stuff in that regard. But like, it was hard to get through because it was such. A, predatory ownership based view of sex that was kind of gross I
0: wonder where the origin of, of bd s and manifested itself to be a, a sub is something that some people desire and to be a dom is something that other people desire i don't know a lot about that world but i feel like it doesn't switch a lot. Maybe it does. I don't I don't actually know. But I wonder like the origins of that. Do you think that's rooted in Roman culture? Is that before that? No, because it shows up in a bunch of different cultures around the world. So clearly there's an element,
1: a little bit of power play that some people dig in the process of feeling that somebody's uh overpowering you or feeling that you have control over yeah or feeling that you have to control over somebody else to some degree that you have it's I hesitate to go there because I don't really it's not something that I'm particularly familiar with or understand, to be honest. I don't really know where that would be because it's, I mean, I've heard random theories, nothing really stuck in a way that I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense, that clicks. So I'm,
0: I'm honestly not, not sure. The relationship of the, the submissive at that time, I wonder how comparable it is to the submissives of this time.
1: Well, one of the problems with this stuff is that uh, if you look at the historical record, the overwhelming majority of the information comes from upper-class men. So everything I'm telling you may be bullshit because this may have been just something that these guys wanted to believe about their world, but everybody else didn't. And so they kind of let them believe their thing. And I mean, almost certainly there was an element that does not fit this because seriously, like the idea is that for Women is something you're supposed to do because you don't really enjoy it kind of thing, but you are just catering to the needs of this person who's above in status compared to you. It's bullshit. Of course, a bunch of women enjoyed sex. That was that's not the issue. You do have like images in Roman art where they are doing stuff that does not fit the standards that you find in Roman writings, where You know, like a real Roman man was not supposed to give oral sex to a woman, and yet you see it in art a whole bunch of times, right? So clearly, this is an old culture. There's the standard official culture that's propagated from the elite of what they believe things should be like. And then there's real life where people may say that's bullshit and they just don't practice it or even internalize it that much. So what we hear is one voice by one part of the society, the dominant one. But there were clearly other voices that just don't make it in the historical
0: record. In relation to the pendulum swinging, what about the matriarchal, patriarchal pendulum? Well, the matriarchal thing is true matriarchy.
1: doesn't really exist. You have a society where women have a big role, where they may be matrilineal, where they trace the sand through the mother line, where you have... But matriarchy in the same way as patriarchy exists doesn't, in the sense that in some patriarchal society, men have ridiculously preferential access to wealth and power compared to women. You don't find anything where women have ridiculously preferential access to wealth and power compared to men. Most of the time you find societies where women can have comparable access to that stuff but not where they have this dominant approach where men do not, that you don't see. So, I mean, you see it in mythology, you hear about the Amazons, you hear about that kind of stuff, but in actual history, not really. You do find societies where women have a ton of wealth and power, just as much as men, and they may have roles that are very revered, and that for sure you do get. But the kind of this exclusive access, no, just doesn't really show up.
0: Want to take a moment and thank Hone Blends for supporting this podcast. If you drink too much coffee or you experience negative effects from coffee, I highly recommend trying out Hone Blends. This is a blend of ceremonial grade matcha, USDA organic cordyceps, and methylated vitamin B12 and B6 that not only brings you the same energy as coffee, but the energy lasts longer. I'm a huge fan of increasing my B12 intake. It's a great way to boost energy as it is required for the production of cellular energy or adenosine tri phosphate, ATP, and is a necessary cofactor in the production of neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine. Although vitamin B12 deficiency is highly common, especially among plant-based diets or from poor absorption of the vitamin, Hone Presence Blend provides vitamin B12 in its already biologically active form without any toxic byproducts. And matcha contains the amino acid L-theanine, which is used in Western medicine to reduce anxiety and treat depression It also stimulates alpha waves in your brain, promoting an attentive and alert disposition while calming your nerves and stress. My favorite way to drink Hone Blends is by mixing it with some hot water and a full fat coconut milk for a delicious matcha latte. I'll typically drink this in place of a second cup of coffee and I've found my energy levels to be higher than ever before. You can get longer lasting energy plus reduce your stress and anxiety with Hone Blends now by heading over to Hone blends dot com that's h-o-n-e-b-l-e-n-d-s dot com and use the code align for 30% off that's right 30% off your order now by using the code align at checkout from homeblends.com all right here we go back to the podcast with my guy danielle i wonder what the direction in the present patriarchal model i wonder where we're going to go with feminism and kind of like an uprising of and i wonder if that's healthy as well because there's there's a lot of women that i know especially coming from like la and places of the sort that kind of want to occupy both the masculine and feminine and i think oftentimes it comes from some masculine wounding and things of the sort and it's like okay i'll be my own masculine i don't need any man and then oftentimes i think that that can start to almost be like a like an unhealthy mutation in a way. And then it can create, lead to loneliness because now it's like, I'm not available for that, that counterpart. That's where to me, some of this stuff is, uh,
1: it's kind of silly the way a lot of people approach stuff because to me it's like everybody contains in them what society defines as superficially masculine characteristic and feminine characteristics. We all have them and they are good. It's good to develop because if you go by, and again, depending on how you define masculine and feminine, but if you see it according to sort of the almost stereotypical definitions where in our society, the notion is like men are strong, tough, assertive, can make decisions quick, but they are kind of emotionally empty. Not a whole lot is happening there. There's not much feeling. They are great for making choices, running an empire, breaking a beer bottle over their head while watching football. You got to chop the chicken's head off. Yeah. Somebody needs to go out there and do it. But not much in terms of emotional sensitivity or awareness or any of that stuff. Vice versa, a lot of the feminine is seen as like nurturing and in touch with feelings, but also overwhelmed by emotions and sometimes got lost in it and unable to make choices and more likely to be intimidated by life and all that kind of stuff both models suck right it's like if you embody the feminine model it's like ill and if you embody the masculine model is equally ill it's just like there are such clear limitations to who you can be as a human being by following those models that i'm like i don't want either that sucks but i do like both You know, what's wrong with developing strength, assertiveness, toughness, and sweetness, being nurturing, and all that kind of stuff, right? In touch with your emotions, all of that. To me, that's what any human being should strive for. Because these are all things we have in us, and they make life better when you develop them. And and, you know, everybody's different. Somebody will be 70-30, somebody will be 50-50, somebody will... The exact balance may be different but it's essential to develop both sides to have a good life, to be a more complete human being, you know what I mean? Otherwise, you are this character of something that society has created that doesn't really hold that appealing to me.
0: Some people may like it, for me, it's just like, yeah. What's been your journey in developing those sides for yourself? Has there ever been an imbalance? Is there an imbalance?
1: I mean, you know, there's course correcting along the way, right? It's like, I'm sort of by nature i'm fairly nerdy i read a lot and i'm and this is i do think is i don't know if nature or culture but maybe the way i was raised contributed but i've definitely always said a kind of natural predisposition to being super in touch with emotions both mine and other people and to a gazillion women love me because they could have with me a conversation that normally they would have only with other women and so he would be like, you are my lesbian, non-lesbian friend. Because <laughs> he's like, you like women. You're like, hey, can we hook up? No, let's just talk. Like, damn it. <laughs> and, and, and some of it to me is like, and so I like that. I really enjoy that part of me. But at the same time, I feel that something that is not foreign, I mean, is in me, but like, also probably because the environment i grew up on it kind of favored that and there was a lot of talk and a lot of conversation and a lot of exploring feelings and a lot of learning how to express yourself then i also dug uh, sports toughness getting down getting scraped up and getting back up and then kind of this idea of um You know, like take martial arts, for example. I could have started like by nature, by where I was when I was uh, young. It would have made perfect sense for me to do Tai Chi and something very soft and beautiful and sensitive, that kind of stuff. And I like that stuff and I do use it. But for me, for balance sake, I think I had to go more in a direction of MMA, uh, you know, the, the hardest, hardcore, sweaty, grindy, tough type of thing that adds that edge to my personality that otherwise if i spend my days reading poetry and doing tai chi i'm never gonna have and it just makes me the way i see it is like it adds a language that you can speak so that somebody with somebody I can only talk on one level, which is the sensitive, sweet level, and there's that, and I like it, but to me, there's more to life. So it, like, life speaks many languages, and I want to speak as many of them as possible. So I also want to be able to relate with somebody who is just uh, mm, tough, strength, manliness. That's what I value. You know, It's like, I feel comfortable talking to you, and you'll think I'm one of you guys, but I'm not, because <laughs> I, I can be that, but I can also be something else. And I think that's just like uh, a cool thing about life, is the opportunity to develop these different sides that really are like different languages. It's like the same way as you can talk to somebody from a country because you speak the language, but you also speak a few others. I
0: think why not learn more languages? Why not become more complete as a human being? I feel like for many men, I think I've identified with this in some ways. I've, I've... Trend towards like the listening, nurturing, kind of supportive side, and then I I've compensated historically in like bodybuilding and martial arts and rock climbing and walking around Boulder, Colorado with like a carabiner around my you know my my belt loop all the time, just like just so you know I'm pretty manly. In my experience and probably many people's, I think that sex is like one of the only spaces to tap into, and then I think there's a lot of imbalance that that can also manifest in there, but it's for many people that are in that situation, maybe I'm only speaking for myself. Historically, tapping into that like primal, dominating, strong like oh, it's some like oh it's really easy there, and then there's another you know the other part of my life where it's like you know I'm maybe more on the side and no one gets to see that that part of me. But then sex opens up. It's it's almost like sex. I feel like is one of the few places or times or spaces that people have to, to tap into something that's, there's still personality and all, all of that, but it's kind of like at a deeper, more mammalian type level. I think it depends though, cause some people can tap into that.
1: I don't think, I think for you, for whatever reason you're able to in that space, but somebody else who may built exactly like you psychologically may not be able to tap into that as easily as you like say, oh, that's can't easy. But in these other context not as much i don't think that's a given for everybody who kind of is built somewhat along your lines i think that some people will not tap into it through sex some people will maybe tap into it through something else and not at all through sex so i think there's variability there in terms of where is the greatest amount of ease to be able to reach that
0: place i wonder how much congruence there is between personality types the way that you show up in in the world and the way that you show up
1: sexually. I think so much of that stuff is determined also by life experiences. You know, it's like, you can be these very, maybe kind of the way you are describing, right? But the first time you have sex, you, finish in six seconds and you feel like an idiot and uh, you break up with the girl you are in after the first time you do it. And suddenly you have this stigma about sex of like, oh, I suck at this. I'm terrible. And that's why this lady break up with me. And now I, and that's your imprint and then good luck, how much time you're going to spend trying to get rid of it, you know? And so I think a lot of
0: life experience can really shape that dramatically. The reason i'm bringing up kind of like the opposite pole sprouting up in sexual situation the way people show up in the world is from talking to people that are like i had you know the dominatrix girl chris ryan had her on his podcast as well oftentimes strong powerful domineering men come to her to be ridiculed and shat on and dominated and all that stuff i think it's almost all in line but literally like they're like these kings in the world, full dominators, and then they seek this out sexually to go into that submissive role. It's very interesting.
1: It's funny though that that happens, at least for some people, because clearly that's the minority of people within who fit that personality type, but it still happens enough that it's almost a stereotype. It's interesting because it seems like that's a way that people seek balance, but so little do you see people actually seeking balance in, in other ways. That is bizarre. Like how often do you see people who are the tough, strong, hardcore guy who decide to they wanna make themselves more sensitive, more intellectually driven, more all of that? Does it happen? Yeah, of course it happens. Is it common? No, it's not. And why? Why wouldn't you want to be able to find that other aspect which is really fulfilling in its own ways and it's a whole other range of stuff that you can tap into about yourself that feels really damn good. So just from a selfish standpoint, why wouldn't you? I think it's just education and our, mo- our, our models. Probably. I think you're 100% right. I think the existing role models and the way people are raised, and they may not even know A, that it's an option, and B, theoretically, is an option how to get there. I think that makes sense, which is why, to me, is really important for... Well, in relation to what we're saying and like speaking multiple languages... If I think that it's important for somebody else to develop more sensitivity, more compassion, more kindness, do I just go around talking about sensitivity, compassion, and kindness? Well, I'm going to be preaching to the choir because I'm only going to get the people who are already inclined to go that way. If I want to reach people who are not as easily inclined to go that way, I need to speak the opposite language. I need to first establish my credential on the fact that we can get on the mat and I can choke you out in six seconds. I can do the shit you value better than you. Go harder and deeper in that aspect. So we are not questioning that I can excel at your shit. But now that we have established that and I have your attention, now let me tell you about all the other stuff and why it's okay to You know, it doesn't make you less manly or tough or any of the things you value. You're not going to lose them if you add on to these things. But in order to convince you, i have first to show you that I'm competent in the stuff you value and I can do that well. Then it's like, oh, so that doesn't mean, you know, with so many people being ultra homophobic for many men, it's kind of like, oh, if you are this tough guy who can do this and that, then if you tell me to read poetry it doesn't mean that poetry is going to make me gay kind of thing it's like oh maybe there is something that i can be the, my manly man that i value and at the same time that's acceptable because you do that and you fit the requirement of what i approve of in this space so if you say it's okay then great i can expand to that so it's kind of paradoxical but in that regard you have to almost you have to establish your credentials in one world to invite people who are stuck and only in that world to say, Look, there's more to life. Let's take three steps in that other direction. It's cool. Trust me.
0: What do you think homophobia is? I think it's very
1: much tied to the stuff we're saying. It's uh, the if in a certain culture you develop this attitude that being a man is about control and domination and power and all that. So anything that doesn't fit the idea of what that man is. And so, for example, if the culture set up the idea that you are supposed to be absolutely 100% heterosexual or maybe the Roman style, where it's okay to have sex with another man, but only if you are the penetrator kind of thing, right? Anything that deviates from that basically would be seen as a loss of manliness. And then a loss of manliness, again, in a culture that value that strongly, that means a loss of you of your status as somebody that people respect. And then, oh, fear of that, so let me be super hardcore in establishing that I'm not one of those guys. I don't uh, like other guys, or I'm not the penetrated, or I don't want any. And so you establish that because
0: you're essentially defending yourself against the idea that you're going to lose power and prestige. Which ultimately, the root of that likely would be coming from a place of feeling insecure with yourself, with your power, with your prestige, with your pla- with your place in the world, with your sexuality, with your masculinity and all of that. I think there's like math to it. The way that we express out the most overtly, typically there's some type of compensation there for some some insecurity deeper, which is why the people that are the most, you know, arrogant and selfish and greedy and, you know, all of those things, like they... Actually, need the most. They need a hug. No, hundred percent. I mean,
1: that's like you know, where before I'm saying more like, oh, there's this and there's that. So it goes, uh, there's um, both tend to be answer to uh, mutual alternative options. No, this is the case where it's pretty black and white, where you see things in a soft so and that stuff. From I mean, soft so and to the point that I would almost say always, it just comes from insecurity. Where it's like, why do you have to scream so loud about how great and strong and tough you are? Because you don't really believe it deep down. Or if you believe it, you believe it's not enough. And you have to constantly be more to make yourself worthy of being liked and loved and all that stuff. Do you
0: know the story of Isis and Osiris? So Osiris, I've been paraphrasing the story because you know, I'll probably mess it up. So people that are, that are into mythology and whatnot are like, you're destroying it. But the general gist of it was Osiris was, you know, captured and destroyed and killed by his enemies. And I guess he had some kind of magical powers to be able to put himself back together or something like that. So they dismembered him and then buried all these different parts of his body in different places throughout the country. And then Isis came. And dug up the the body parts and remembered them, which is an interesting, you know, word remembering, and made this congruent whole rebirthing of Osiris through the reconvergence of all of his parts to finally come in, in together as one. So I think that's such a cool story of in the process of remembering ourselves, our our femininity, our masculinity, our childhood, our you know, our our family history, our present, our future, like all of that in that process then you can come into maybe like a self-actualized person or like a whole person or a a healthy content any of that but until there's some you know you've got a arm or a cock or something buried in massachusetts until you remember that then you're always going to be operating from a place of compensation
1: hundred percent and i think i mean when you think about a lot of people we're talking about it it was interesting because it was um stuff you were saying applies to me too like earlier when before we started recording you were talking about relationship and the feeling that you need to provide to a certain degree for somebody you are in a relationship with and that level of what it means to provide changes over time like it's never quite enough if you made it is like no i meant 10 times more no i meant this and i do that with different things not with money but with other stuff where i think there's a level there where because of the way people grow up they internalize the idea that they are valuable in the measure that they can do x whether it is make certain amount of money or whether it is be successful in another way or write ten thousand books or whatever that may be right and so then it becomes a little bit of a hamster running on a wheel kind of thing where you never quite can, can get there because that's your the inside of you the idea is this is what makes me valuable and, uh, okay, you made a million dollars. No, I meant it had to be five. Okay, you meant five. No, no, it had to be, like, you never get off the point where you can say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I like myself. I'm I'm happy with who I am. I can now just go ahead and enjoy life. I've established my, I reached my goal. Now we're good. When you have it in you, is very hard to do because that's all you know it's grind, 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 go after this goal. And then if you get it, you're lost. You're like, well, no, that's not what I meant. This doesn't feel, I still feel that I need to prove myself. So let's go further and you get there. And it's like, nope, I still, and it becomes a thing where you never reach the destination because you are stuck on this idea that ultimately comes from some kind of insecurity, right? And it can be very minor insecurity. It can be like one thing I notice on myself Sometimes I'm like, why the fuck am I always grinding for the next project and just making? I wanna, if I write a book, I need to write five more. If I do something good, I wanna do that 10 times more. When I, cause at the end of the day, it does not improve the quality of life. There's a place where you should just chill and be able to sit back and relax and enjoy life as is. It's not about just constantly pushing. So why do I do that to myself? And I realized the way I grew up, even though I had a ton of love and it wasn't really conditional there was the expectation of like oh man you are so brilliant you are so these of course you are gonna do all these great things and in my mind as a kid i probably was like well not so of course it's not that easy to do all these great things so granted i'm told i'm loved regardless but in my mind it's like well that's how i prove it that i'm worthy of that love So I should go out and do it. And then when you do it, it's like, well, that's nice, but is it really enough? Like, I should do more of that. And again, you become the hamster on the wheel because there's never a place where you can just stop and pat yourself on the back and say, you know what, I'm going to hop on that wheel only when I feel like it, when it feels good because I want to create another thing, not because my self-esteem is tied to it and I feel that I have to run on that wheel. And I think that's... uh, tough one to swallow because it's, uh, it's how you're wired after a while, you
0: know, it's not that easy to change that. If the internal operating system comes from, you know, your place of comfort is like, I'm not enough, I will be when, there is no when, it's a continually moving target. And until you address the, the more deeply rooted OS of what's going on, then it's just, it's just going to be this hamster wheel until you address that. And you may or may not address that in this lifetime but the opportunity is there. And so many people die before even getting into that. I mean, I, I haven't tapped into it completely myself. And I'm like, I hope I don't die before I figure out that fucking wheel shit stuff. You know?
1: <laughs> I think there's something valuable for people who are, and this is clearly not all people because some people need the opposite. They need more fire under their ass. Yeah, the crank rest. up the wheel, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you are a fat hamster now. Hop on that wheel and run around sometime, you know? But for people who have that tendency to just go, 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 prove myself, I think there's something really healthy, which in our culture, especially in American culture, it just doesn't really happen, but uh, it's easier in other cultures where you are almost forced by the way society runs that maybe for a month in summer, nothing happens, everything closes down. And so you, everybody just goes to the sea and you hang out for a month by the sea. And if you have this very driven kind of thing, you're there and, you know, the first three days is like, yeah, vacation, this is awesome. And by day four, you're like, okay, now what? And you almost get depressed because you're not used to being you without a task that proves your value. And if you do it for a week or two, you don't have time to switch. But if you have at least a month and all you do is just, you go to the beach, you sit down, you read something, look at the sun, chit-chat with somebody, hop into the sea, swim around, come out, sometimes some more, let's go eat, let's go back to the beach. You know, you do that day in and day out. It does something to your brain where suddenly after a while, there's a click that happens where it's like, oh, this is what it feels to be me without a task at hand, without a social role that I'm fulfilling on a constant it's basis. It's like the mask of busyness. Yeah where you're just like, oh, and and you start hearing a different voice there of who you are, what you want to do, because ultimately you're going to want to spend your time doing something, but you're like, maybe something that's different from your traditional social role pop up. Maybe something else that you're into it is like, and I think it's the healthiest thing that anybody can do. Of course, easier said than done, because you need to have the money to be able to take off for a month, especially in this society where it's not like work gives you that time it does not happen that way that's one thing that was trippy about i grew up in italy everybody did that you know you could be poor as fuck and you still go out you know you don't go to the fancy semi-private beach you're gonna go to the ones that pack with people and they're elbow to elbow but you still spend a month on the beach hanging out and so there's something super healthy about that process
0: i was talking with chris ryan he brought up so because he lived in Barcelona for a while and he had mentioned something like I, I think they're deemed like the healthiest culture or something like this by some model or standard and it's ironic because they're kind of doing a lot of the things that Americans would like poo-poo on you know so they're eating all these tapas they're not fasting enough and they're eating you know their their dinners at like ten thirty p.m. and they're getting kind of buzzed at like noon and it's like it's like no no <laughs> that's not it's not the health model <laughs> <laughs> and in
1: some ways that Roman model of uh, and I mean Roman applied more to the American approach of like efficiency domination yeah. make it happen grind willpower rather than one that kind of let like go of the reins a little bit and is like ah
0: let's in this garden for the next hour yeah. let's just shoot the shit and that's it well you need structure and integrity in order to sustain
1: flexibility 100% Taoism right there, right? Which ultimately to me is, it's life. It's always, I like this archetype. I like this archetype. They are opposite archetypes, but they all have something valuable. Let me figure out how I can take
0: the best from both and mix it in a way that makes my life better. Yeah. And then you need flexibility to, to finish that. You need flexibility in order to sustain that linearity and integrity and foundation the flexibility is what from like a body perspective is what hydrates that tissue so if you're just all stable and you've got your axial skeletons all stacked you can develop or cultivate a lot of leverage from that place but you don't move those cells will degenerate exactly thanks so much for your life always fun to chat. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Where do we point people from here?
1: I have a couple of podcasts. One called The Drunken Taoist. It's a more chatty, free flowy topic. It's one of the first episodes. podcasts
0: that I really enjoyed, Drunken Taoist.
1: Sweet. So. Thank you, thank you. You've yeah. done it forever. Yeah, I've been doing it since 2012. So it's been around for a while. Keep it. I do like a couple of episodes a month, so not that much to burn out on it, but enough to keep it going. And uh, and then the other one, the one that's more well known, is a history on fire, uh, where I just just me essentially doing a deep dive in a particular historical topic. I do a ton of research and then jump on and uh, essentially distill it in a way that's hopefully more entertaining than reading like ten boring academic books on the topic.
0: And I just tell you a particular story, like you're watching Game of Thrones, kind of feeling. And that's the thing i really appreciate about you and i think you already know about yourself because it's what you're intentionally doing but is you get into the daily life and like the mind and the, you know the psyche of the people whereas a lot of history oftentimes is just the dates that the dudes killed each other and who won and you're kind of like okay cool like i can remember that i guess if there's a test well how does this actually inform the way that i show up today yeah that's to me is
1: one of the big things is like relevance If it's not relevant to your life, it's not important in one way or another, why are we doing it? And to me, history is very much because it's a lived experience. It's not just a record of what happened when. It's like, well, I mean, sure, that's something, but that's not what we're driving at. That's not the real deal. So I like to do the as much as humanly possible, given the limits of the records, but do a dive into what made people click, what made them be passionate about something why they acted the way acted that kind of thing to me that's where
0: it's at thank you sir over and out thank you all for tuning in i'll see you next week Thank you all so much for tuning into that conversation. Per mentioned, Daniele is a good friend, someone that I greatly value, his authenticity, his research, his background, his history. And I'm just so grateful to get to bring people like that to you guys. If you did enjoy this conversation, por favor, share it on the internet. Instagram's a likely place. You could tag me at Align Podcast and you can tag Daniele at Daniele underscore Bellelli That is it. That is all appreciate you guys tuning in so much. Appreciate you sharing it. Appreciate reviews on whatever you're listening this to. Thank you for supporting the book, The Align Method. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much for following along on this journey. Looking forward to speaking into your ear holes next week.